Have you ever met a person who was bubbly and happy all of the time? Anyone? There's a few people here. It almost seems like they're fake, doesn't it? Because no one can be that happy all of the time. If I see someone like that, I think to myself, well, it's because they've never had anything bad happen to them. They've never brushed up against the reality of this world that we live in. They're protected. They've never had to struggle. They've never had to wonder where their next paycheck was coming from. They've never known the hurt of a broken home. They've never seen hardship before. At least that's what I tell myself. But I'm sure you've also heard or maybe you've felt the impression that as believers, this is what we are supposed to be like, right? Happy all of the time. I have the joy of the Lord, so we should smile all the time. Is that what these verses talk about? This morning we're going to look at that in God's Word. But you can take some verses out of context and you can begin to tell yourself that that's what it means. That you being a Christian, having the joy of the Lord, need to be happy all of the time. In Grief Share a few weeks ago, we looked at a verse, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, which says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Does God really mean that? In all circumstances, give thanks? For the people in Texas last Sunday who were gathering together to worship and it was interrupted by a gunman, give thanks? Either God is really a calloused God, or he doesn't really mean give thanks all of the time. Which one is it? Or then in Philippians 4, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. But how can we rejoice when people are suffering? How can we rejoice when loved ones are dying or have died? How can we rejoice when we see people who are dealing with destroyed homes, when families are broken, when we brush up against the evil of this world? How can we rejoice? In our text this morning, the Lord answers this very question. In Zephaniah chapter 3. I invite you to open up your Bibles to Zephaniah 3 verses 14 through 20. The prophet here is, is saying, speaking the word of the Lord and he begins his message by saying, shout for joy. Here is another one of those shout for joy messages. But in this passage, he gives us a reason to shout for joy. I invite you to stand out of respect for God's word as I read Zephaniah chapter 3. Verses 14 through 20. This is Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 14 through 20. Reading in Jesus' name. Shout for joy, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all of your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away his judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You will fear disaster no more. In that day it will be said to Jerusalem, Do not be afraid, O Zion. Do not let your hands fall limp. The Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exalt over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. I will gather those who grieve about the appointed feasts. They came from you, O Zion. The reproach of exile is a Behold, I am going to deal at that time with all your oppressors. I will save the lame and gather the outcast, and I will turn their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. 
At that time, I will bring you in, even at the time when I gather you together. Indeed, I will give you renown and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. Father God, these are your words. Your word is true, each and every one of them that we read in your word. Father, we pray this morning that you would sanctify us in your truth, that you would help us to find the reasons why you call us to rejoice. Help us, Lord, to turn our eyes to you during this time. Open our hearts to receive the message that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I would venture to say the book of Zephaniah is probably one that we're not all too familiar with. You probably can't quote too many verses from Zephaniah. Zephaniah was a prophet during the reign of King Josiah. And if you remember King Josiah, he became king at a young age, just eight years old. And when King Josiah became king, he was following in his father's footsteps, or taking over after his father, and his father was an evil and wicked king who didn't serve the Lord or didn't follow the Lord, but led his people astray. At the beginning of Josiah's reign, and again, he is the king who was king during the time when the book of the law was found in the temple, and he was the king that led religious reform in all of the country. But what did it look like before Josiah became king, or when he just became king? Allow me to explain to you what was going on, the religious atmosphere of that day. The priests were idolatrous. The priests, the very ones who are supposed to be leading God's people into worship, to worship the Lord God alone and Him alone, they were worshiping other gods on the side as well, or primarily worshiping other gods. Yet God had said, worship me alone. And these were the priests. As an act of worship, people would go to another house of worship to worship foreign gods. And these houses were not like the house of worship we have here, but in these houses of worship was prostitution. This is what they did as an act of worship. We don't think of that as a worshipful act. But this was going on as all in the name of worshiping a god. It gets worse than that, however. Not only was, were the priests idolatrous, not only were the people going to houses of prostitution for worship, but there was child sacrifice going on. Sacrificing children, all in the name of worshiping a pagan god, a god who doesn't even exist. And again, I'm not talking about foreign nations here. I'm talking about God's people that were doing these things. They were guilty. Needless to say, it didn't please the Lord to see his people doing these things. And this is the religious atmosphere when Josiah takes over as king. And the book of Zephaniah comes to us during the same time of Josiah. And the book of Zephaniah starts out very differently in chapter 1 than it does in chapter 3 that we just read. But in order to give you the context of chapter 3, we need to look back at, verse, or at chapter 1. So flip back to chapter 1. Zephaniah 1 verse 4 says this, The Lord says this to his people, I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Why? Because this is a religious atmosphere of the time. And the Lord says, I've had it. I will stretch out my hand against them and I will bring judgment on them. And we go ahead to chapter 1, verse 14. Reading to the end of the chapter, it says this. Near is the great day of the Lord. 
near and coming very quickly. Listen, the day of the Lord, in it the warrior cries out bitterly. A day of wrath is that day, a day of trouble and distress, a day of destruction and desolation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and battle cry against the fortified cities and the high corner towers. I will bring distress on men so that they will walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord and their blood will be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to deliver them on that day of the Lord's wrath. And all the earth will be devoured in the fire of his jealousy for he will make a complete end, indeed a terrifying one, of all the inhabitants of the earth. This is the beginning of Zephaniah. This is one of the chapters that Zephaniah chapter 3, which we just read, comes after. This message that's given here isn't a message of rejoicing, is it? It's a message of judgment. And well-deserved judgment, I might add, right? If this is what God's people were doing, shouldn't the Lord do something to stop it? And just as we are appalled by the idea of child sacrifice or religious prostitution or whatever else it is, so much more so is the Lord appalled by these things, especially from his people. You know something? It's not something that's unique to Zephaniah's day. Believe it or not, child sacrifice still continues today. It's not underneath the auspices of, to the God of Moloch that we sacrifice children. Instead, we change that name to convenience or choice. Children are being sacrificed. And it's not so much religious prostitution that we deal with. They're not prostituting themselves for service of a God or to worship of a God, unless we call that name pleasure or living life to the fullest or whatever it is that you want to call it. Sexual immorality is rampant even today. These things are still going on. We hear in the news of pastors, of priests, politicians accused of sexual immorality. And if we're honest with ourselves, we know people who do it too. And maybe even you do it in the privacy of your own home when you think no one else is watching. It's appalling. It's inexcusable. And at the end of the day, it's just plain sinful. And here in Zephaniah, we see the word of the Lord coming to all people guilty of these things, warning that the day of the Lord is coming. And what does this day of the Lord mean? In Zephaniah chapter 1, it's a day of judgment, where God will deal with all of the filth of the world, with all of the sin of this world, not just the murderers, not just the adulterers or the pedophiles, but all liars, all gossipers, all the arrogant, all the thieves, thieves you name the sin, and judgment is coming. This is the message that Zephaniah has the privilege of sharing with God's people. Judgment is coming against sin. The prophet Ezekiel had said earlier, the soul who sins will die. It's not a new message for these people. But Paul writes in Romans that all have sinned. All have sinned, and the wages of sin is death. And so even if we look at these things and we say, well, I'm not guilty of that, God's word tells us that so you are still guilty of sin. And God's word says that there is a day coming when he will deal with sin. A day of judgment. And that ought to be terrifying. That's the message 
in a nutshell, of the first part of Zephaniah. That's the context through which chapter 3 is given. But this text here that we have this morning has a much different tone. And if I were to give a musical analogy, if the book of Zephaniah were a song, there would be a key change here, from a minor key to a major key. Because it was gloom and doom, but now it's happy thoughts that are coming through in chapter 3. We see this message in chapter 3. In light of all this judgment and wrath that's already been proclaimed in the first two chapters of Zephaniah, Zephaniah writes, Shout for joy, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O Jerusalem, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. And the question comes, how in the world can Zephaniah write that after we've just read these things? How in the world can Zephaniah write that when we hear that we are sinners and that God is coming in wrath and judgment to deal with sin, how can we rejoice when we are guilty? Zephaniah gives us three reasons here. The Lord gives us three reasons in this passage. First, in verse 15, the Lord has taken away his judgments against you. The Lord has taken away his judgments against you. Allow that verse to sink into your ears, into your mind, into your heart. God's word tells us that we are sinners. We know that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've confessed earlier that I have not loved my neighbor above all things, nor you above all things, Lord, that I am guilty in thought, word, and deed that we sin. We continue to sin each and every day. And so the proper title that we deserve to have is sinner because this is what we do. But here in verse 15, we read the beautiful words, the Lord has taken away his judgments against you. It's a reason to rejoice, is it not? For the people in Zephaniah's day, for those who are guilty of child sacrifice, for those who are guilty of religious prostitution, for those who are guilty of serving other gods, the message of the Lord comes to them and says, I have removed these judgments against you. You're no longer guilty of your sin. I have forgiven you, is a message that God has for his people. He says he has taken them away. And this isn't like a teacher taking away a distraction from you in school where you'll get it back at the end of the day. He's taken it away. It's gone. It's as far as the east is from the west. So far as he removed these things from you. And in Jeremiah, the Lord says, I will forgive their iniquity, their sin. I'll remember no more. It's not because God doesn't have a good memory. It's because God has removed it from you and it is no longer there. The question comes, when would this be dealt with? When will my sin be dealt with? When will your sin be dealt with? When would the sin of the Israelites be dealt with here in the book of Zephaniah? God said that it would. And as they trusted that it would be, they trusted his word. They trusted the promise of someone coming. From Isaiah 53, verse 5, that he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of for our well-being fell upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Who is this one to suffer for you? Paul identifies this person. All of Scripture identifies this person. It's Jesus. In Colossians 2, Paul writes, When you were dead in your transgressions, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, just like these people in Zephaniah's day who were guilty of sinning against the Lord, we are in this same position. But in this moment, in this circumstance that we are in, 
God's word says that Christ made you alive together with him, having forgiven us of all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Friends, this has been dealt with already. Your sin has been dealt with. It has been nailed to the cross as Christ took all of the sins of the world that ever have been committed, that ever will be committed, and has nailed them to the cross. For the people in Zephaniah's day, it was as good as done as God keeps his word, as God keeps his promises. They just needed to trust in this promise and it was taken care of. For us today, we trust in the historical fact that this has happened. We trust God's word where he says that we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. It's done. Our sins have been removed. The day of the Lord when the Lord has taken away his judgments happened. When Christ died on the cross for your sins. And it happens for each one of us when we confess our sins. And we trust in him to forgive us of our sins. And he does forgive us. The day of the Lord when he deals with our sins happens. And we are forgiven. And so in light of this, God's word says in Zephaniah 3.14, Rejoice, shout for joy, and rejoice and exult with all of your heart. And again, who is he talking to here in Zephaniah? The idolaters, the adulterers the unfaithful. The message of God's word is that God forgives the unfaithful. He forgives those who are unfaithful to him when they come to him in repentance. God forgives those who are guilty of child sacrifice when they come to him for repentance. He forgives those who have chosen abortion over life. He forgives those who choose to live immoral lives when they come to him. That sin has been dealt with. On the cross, rejoice and exult with all of your heart that your sin has been removed. And if that weren't reason enough, he has cleared away your enemies, he says in verse 15. At the time that Zephaniah was writing this letter, they didn't have to worry too much about foreign enemies coming in. Though there was coming a day when another nation would come, when the Israelites would be led away. Another nation was coming and would take over Judah. And the book right before Zephaniah, the book of Habakkuk, you can ask the men from men's Bible study, we just finished studying that, talks all about this coming of a foreign nation to teach Judah a lesson. But at this time, they didn't have to worry about it. But when the day of the Lord comes, his word says he will clear away all of your enemies, every single one of them. Not most of them, and you'll just have to fight a few more battles left for yourselves, and you better fight hard, otherwise you'll be overcome. But the Lord says, all of your enemies will be taken care of. In this world, we see enemies. Whether it's the world, the influence of a secular society, a godless society that's trying to remove Jesus Christ from every aspect of our lives, and trying to eliminate anyone who stands for Christ in their path. Whether it's terrorists, Demanding you to succumb to their anti-Christ ideals. Saying, reject Jesus and live. Or choose Jesus and die. Or whether it's the enemies who have no other agenda other than causing you harm. 
these enemies, the Lord says in his word, he will take care of. He will clear away all of your enemies when the day of the Lord comes. When the day of the Lord comes, he will take care of all of your enemies. Because when the day of the Lord comes for your enemies, it will be a day of judgment. For all of those who are not bowing the knee to Jesus Christ, it will be a day of judgment. And look back to Zephaniah 1 to see what that day is going to be like. It's not going to be a good day. In Revelation chapter 6, we see a picture of the martyrs crying out to God and saying, God, how long? How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging the blood of those who dwell on the earth? How long are you going to let the wicked continue to live and continue to thrive on this earth? And the Lord's answer is, the day of the Lord is coming and I will take care of it. Wait. And this day of the Lord comes when the wicked take in their last breath, when they no longer breathe on this earth and can no longer breathe threats against you, but they take in their next breath, standing before a holy and just God who says, depart from me, for I never knew you. This is one of the days of the Lord for them, and their time on earth is done. But there is coming a final and ultimate day of the Lord when he will deal with all wickedness at the same time, and it will all be taken care of. The Lord will deliver you. He will clear away all of your enemies. But there's still an enemy for those of us here today that we still deal with, that we don't necessarily look back at the world and point it's the world's fault. There's an enemy inside of us, our own sinful natures, that say, do what you want to do. I know this is what God's word says, but follow your heart. This is going to give you pleasure. Do this instead. And is there deliverance from this enemy, from this body of flesh? Paul says in Romans chapter 7, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And in the very next breath, he says, But praise be to God, who through Jesus Christ will do this. There is deliverance from this enemy as well. When the day of the Lord comes, he will deliver us from all our enemies. For the victims of last week's shooting, it came last Sunday, when God has delivered them from all of their enemies. No longer do they have to worry anymore about gunmen coming into their church because they're in heaven where no one can harm them. God has delivered them from their enemies. God has delivered them from their sinful flesh as well. For the Christians dying in persecution around the world, their own day of the Lord comes when they pass away and when God calls them home. The persecutors do not win. The gunmen do not win. But when God calls us home, we are delivered from all of our enemies. And the Lord says here in his word, he will clear away all your enemies when this day of the Lord comes. Whichever comes first for you, when God calls you home or when Jesus Christ comes again, when that day of the Lord comes for you, as you believe in Christ, you'll be delivered from all of your enemies. Another reason we have to rejoice is found in verses 15 and 17. Beautiful words of scripture, beautiful promises for us who believe the king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You will fear disaster no more. The Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exalt over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. He is with you. 
Earlier in Isaiah, the prophet writes these words. He says, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Sin separates us from God. We know that. Our sin separates us from God. God does not dwell in the presence of sin. He doesn't tolerate sin. Yet here in this passage, we are told he dwells in your midst. How can that be? How can God dwell in my midst when I am a wretched sinner? And the answer is found in verse 15 again, because he has removed your transgressions from you. He has removed the judgments from you. And so instead of having the certificate of debt tied to your name, instead, the Lord Jesus Christ is there with you. The King of Israel is in your midst. He has taken away your sin. And in verse 17, we find words that cause me to scratch my head. He exalts over you with joy. This is the Lord saying he exalts over you with joy. Have you ever made the, la- the game-winning shot in basketball? Or the game-winning spike in volleyball? Or the, home, the last run, the, whatever you call it, the walk-off run in a baseball game? Or anything great like that? If you've ever seen that happen before, everyone goes to this one person as though they were the ones who won this whole game by themselves. Throw them up on their shoulders and exalt that this person is on your team. Picture that, but God doing this with you, exalting over you. The Lord, the creator of heaven and earth, exalts over you. Who am I that he exalts over me? But the reason being is because Christ dwells with us. The reason why Christ can dwell with us is because he has taken away the transgressions that you have committed, and he has forgiven us of all of our sins. The day of the Lord is coming. Zephaniah tells us it's inevitable, and this is the message of this book. And it sounds terrifying if we just read chapter 1 of this book. And it ought to terrify us if we are not in Christ. If there were no Christ, there would be no hope for us. But the truth of the matter is, in Christ, all of our sins have been removed from us. And they've been dealt with at the cross. And in Christ, not only do we have forgiveness of sins, but we are united together with him. And he dwells in your midst. And since this is the case, we have nothing to fear. And since this is the case, whatever your circumstance is, give thanks Whatever your circumstance is, we have a reason to rejoice. Even if that's rejoicing through tears of sorrow and pain and agony, we still know that Christ is still with us. We still know that Christ has still taken care of our sins. And we still know that one day Christ will deliver us from all of our enemies that we have here in this world. For believers, the day of the Lord is a day of deliverance. But for the lost, it's a day of judgment. So when the day of the Lord comes for you, will you be ready? And when the day of the Lord comes, will it be a cause of rejoicing for you? Or will it be a cause of fear and trembling and just the beginning of your suffering? Zephaniah calls us to rejoice because in Christ we have every reason to rejoice. 
whatever our circumstances may be. And Christ today calls out to you, I have already taken care of your sins. Believe in me and be forgiven and look forward to this day of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's truth. We thank you, Jesus, for what you have done for us, that you take adulterers, idolaters, sinful people, wretched people, Lord, people like myself, who turn our backs on you, and you can forgive us, and you can remove our transgressions from us. You have done this in Christ. We praise you, and we thank you for that gift that you have given to us. Lord, help us to hold on to these promises by faith, to look forward to this day of the Lord when you come to call us home. And Lord, help us to prepare those around us as well to share this message with those who don't know you, that the day of the Lord might be a day of rejoicing for all people. Father, that you would call all people unto yourselves. Keep us faithful to this task that you have given us here in our communities, and our friends, and our families, in our homes as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.